Just call it how I see it. You heard it there in the intro. I will always call it how I see it. Whether you like it or not is a different story, but that is still your problem, not mine. I'm your host, Stephen A. Norman, back with another edition of the show. A lot to get to. The Celtics, week and a half into their season, much anticipated season. Now minus Gordon Hayward, as we all know. The big news today from the NFL, Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network breaks the news that Dante Hightower will miss the remainder of the Patriots season with a torn pectoral muscle. A little recap of the Patriots-Falcons from last Sunday and ahead of their game against the L.A. Chargers on Sunday. And, of course, the Red Sox, they hire their 47th manager, Alex Cora. Was it the right call? He will be introduced after the World Series wraps up. And the Astros and Dodgers will, uh, you know, someone will win that series, although it's back and forth. Last night's game was crazy. But that's not what we're talking about. I want to start with the Celtics. And I think the big story with this team right now is what does Tatum and Brown, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, bring to the table in addition now to Kyrie Irving and obviously Horford and the whole new bunch of players that have been brought into the mix now with the big turnover from the offseason. And now Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are thrown into the mix in positions that were not anticipated preseason. We obviously knew that Jalen Brown was hopefully going to make the step that I feel like he has made. But we didn't expect what we're getting out of Jason Tatum, or at least uh, I didn't. I don't think a lot of people did. With the scoring aspect, we knew he was going to get minutes, but what was he going to add to this team? Five minutes and 15 seconds in. I mean, what a heartbreaker. We obviously have lost Julian Edelman. I mentioned Dante Hightower. Uh, you know, both big players on their teams. So early, you know, in the season, Patriots only halfway through, and, and Gordon Hayward within the first five minutes of the first quarter, which sucked the wind out of that Cleveland game. But what I do like, if I'm going to spin positive here, and people say I am too negative, I will admit at times I am too negative. But if we're going to take something positive out of what happened in that first game against Cleveland, it's what has come from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. We'll start with Brown. He was here last year. We saw him give a little surge in the second half of the season in the playoffs. He offered up uh, a good mix of defense and was able to get to the basket, but we didn't really see much from the shooting aspect from him. And we were all hoping that he would make that jump as a shooter, and people compared him you know, to players who didn't come into the league with a great shot but had that motor, had that athleticism that he has. And he's, you know, he's shown that he's made a big stride. I'm watching the game right now here in the background. The Celtics up 90 to 83 uh, against Milwaukee here, a big game. Uh, obviously, they lost to this Milwaukee team uh, last week. And what I like from these two, if we're going to po- put a positive spin on it to get back to that, is these players now are going to have the chance to mature and uh, mature, if you will. They're going to get minutes, but also much you know, important minutes, big minutes. They're not just going to get minutes. Tatum is not just going to play garbage time like Jalen Brown did at times last season. He's actually going to be in the mix, and, and early on he has been. They've paid off. So now what do we expect from this team going forward? 
you know, some people say they're going to lose 10 wins. I don't think they're going to lose that much. I take the under if that's what we're looking at. Because I think that these players have proven those two players are key players, probably the most important players, if you ask me, for what this season's going to be. And I say that people will argue that it's Kyrie Irving and what he brings to the table. I think that goes without say. So that's why I'm hitting on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum so much, because we knew what we were getting with Kyrie, or at least we think we know what we're getting with Kyrie. Uh, a scorer, a ball handler, someone who comes in with all-star pedigree, a winning, cal- you know, a winning tenure in Cleveland uh, where he went to the finals three straight years. So we know what we're getting with Kyrie, and we'll, we'll hit on him and his outburst in, in Philadelphia. But we didn't know what we're getting from Tatum and Brown uh, or how much we were going to get from them. And I think now it's not about this season to me as much as it is about the, the next few seasons, if you will, because Gordon Hayward, from everything we've heard, had a successful surgery and is going to come back and should be okay. We've seen players come back from injuries, and there's no guarantees, obviously, but we hope we've seen it before, so there is you know, some, some gleam of hope to come from that. But now Brown and Tatum are going to be that much ahead of the curve when next season comes about. And if LeBron leaves... Cleveland, as it is much talked about, and I think he will, to move out to L.A. and play in the West, which is crowded, but that's where his future is, you know, post-basketball. And we look at his age now. He's been in the league for, I don't have the number in front of me, I'm 13 years, something like that. So he's not young, and that Cleveland team is on the, on the rock. So what are they going to do moving forward? A lot of tension between him and the owner. So what does that mean? That means the Celtics can take over they can take over the East. I mean, you have teams like Milwaukee and the Greek Freak. I can't pronounce his last name. Antetokounmpo. Blah, 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 blah. It seems like a, a smorgasbord of, of vowels and, 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 and the whatnot. But long story short is this Celtic team is going to be atop the East for a long time. And I think that's due to that young core. And this young core, which I don't think was going to take them to a title this season. I mean, I think they could have competed. And I think they'll still compete in the East because it's a weak division. I expect them to finish in the top four. But going forward, seeing what we're seeing, these players are going to pay dividends, okay? I mean, Brown, I would like to see more consistent shooting from him. His ability to get to the basket is obvious. His athleticism, his motor is obvious. But his defense has been better this season. His shooting has got better this season. You know, not tonight. I think he's 2 of 10. Tatum is 3 of 6 as I look at the score sheet, the box score right now, but it's it's about what they can bring going forward. I don't want to get too hyped up on a game against the Knicks early in the season. The Knicks are one of the most embarrassing franchises in basketball, an overrated franchise if you ask me, but this team faced the Knicks the other night and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both score over 20 points. In fact, according to Elias Sports Bureau, they're the first Celtics duo ever to score 20 points each at the age of 21 years or younger in the same game in team history. So that's saying something right there. They both came out shooting. They both came out firing. And that just shows you they have that ability. And when you're talking to Brown about taking a leadership role, he says in a quote, I can't complain about being in this position, Brown said, because I asked that of myself. It just shows you right there his pedigree. We heard so much of it, and Danny Ainge was criticized so much, you know, for taking 
Brown where he did, but he said he really saw something in the player, liked him. He was a very mature player, and I think we've seen that kind of take shape early on in this season and only his second year. And going forward, that's going to pay off a lot. Kyrie Irving, who I think is you know definitely your best player um, and is going to score points every night, there's no doubt about that, but is he a little thin-skinned? I mean, here in Philadelphia... He tells uh, a fan who asks him simply, where's LeBron? Now, they said that he was badgered a lot more than that, but that's what's caught on tape. And Kyrie answers back with S my D or siphon my gas, if, uh, if you will, or sip my drink. S my D. You guys can put that together. We know what that is. It's a little thin skin for someone who has so much experience in the league and has won so much. It, it's a little bit of a red flag. Um, for someone who has been through as much as he has, I even wonder, you know, what, what is he going to be as a leader to this team? He talks a lot and, and make comments before the game in Milwaukee tonight. They're playing on the Mecca court uh, about, you know, the surface, and he felt that it's definitely not like some of the other courts he's played on. He seems to have an opinion and talk about absolutely everything instead of just going out and playing. So, is he going to be that leader, or is Brown and Horford, who is obviously a leader, a quiet one, but I think you've seen a little bit more fire out of him. I like that. Are those going to be your real core players? And Kyrie's not going to be along for the ride. He's going to be a key cog, but is he going to be more of the score, and maybe you can have a younger leader, or does Kyrie's voice overrule that? We'll, we'll see, but I think Brown has the right pedigree. When we talk about Tatum, this is a player who has a 6'8", he has a wingspan of a 7-footer, and we have to remember he's 19 years old, 19. He's still young, he's still growing. I wish I was still growing. I really do, I'm, I'm not tall enough, but he's a young player. He's going to score, um, or he's going to grow, I'm sorry, and he has been scoring. So it, it, it's a positive move in the right way, in the right direction, and I like what I'm seeing from these guys. That's not to say that they're not going to have their ups and downs. I know that there are going to be nights where Jason Tatum just can't buy a bucket and he looks outmatched. He's young. That's going to happen. Brown, he's going to have his nights where he struggles from the field. He's still becoming a true shooter in this league and hopefully working towards that. I know he's working towards it, but hopefully going to achieve that. But Brad Stevens already looks at these guys as, as part of the guys, not young guys, but you know, part of the group. In a quote, he goes, I'm sure I'll say it down the road or whenever. But they are young guys. But to us, with the situation we're in, they're guys. Like we need them to be guys. We're in a situation right now where we're going to expect a lot of those guys, and we need them to be great. We need them to be able to respond to adversity, and we need them to be able to respond to pats on the back just the same. We have high expectations for them. They should have a high expectations for themselves. And they're getting a great opportunity. So we need them to continue to be good. And there's a lot of fun in that, I think. That's a quote there from Brad Stevens. So you can hear in the quote that he expects a lot from them. They expect a lot from themselves. He knows there's going to be ups and downs. And he expects them to be able to handle that. And I think that's because of their the way they handle things and the way that they've shown early in the season, albeit, to handle things such as being thrown into games and getting minutes and shot opportunities that they weren't expecting when the season started because Gordon Hayward was going to be such a key part of this team and was going to free up so many shots for Kyrie but also take away minutes from Jason Tatum and even Brown at times. 
And I think that speaks volumes to what this team is going to be once again down the road, not necessarily this season, but down the road. But to look at this season, when Morris comes back from his his injury, which he's supposed to come back possibly against San Antonio, it's going to give Stevens the opportunity to mix and match, and it adds that extra wing score with that inside presence that Morris gives you. And it will give him the opportunity to fool around with the starting lineup as well as substitutions. When Morris comes back, you could possibly see Kyrie, Brown, Tatum, Morris, and Horford. Um, you could see something like that. You could maybe see, uh, you know, instead of Tatum, you see Morris, and Tatum comes off the bench as that score. It gives you that option. Now, also, you have Marcus Smart, who has once again struggled shooting the ball at times this season, still taking too many threes, if you ask me. And I think that goes to the team because one of the things that I've seen from this team that I don't like is I don't think there's enough ball movement at times. I, I think at times it sticks with one player, it's a quick pass, and it's a, a player taking an individual shot on their own and, and not moving the ball around looking for the best option. Sometimes the ball movement just isn't good. I don't think they spread it around enough. Sometimes the shots are too quick. I know Brad Stevens likes to p- play a fast-paced offense, and it definitely pays off in this NBA, uh, the way the NBA is going, I should say. Fast-paced, small lineups, and, and I like that. But at the same time, that doesn't take away from you have to have set-up plays, and people need to run them the right way. I put that on Kyrie. I put that on Horford, although he's a 4-5. He doesn't like the 5, but will play the 5. I put that on players who come in like uh, Terry Rozier, uh, Marcus Smart, even Shane Larkin, because these guys need to take control of the point and make sure the ball is getting movement, make sure the plays are getting ran the proper way instead of quick shots, trying to fire up what looks like a good shot or feels like a good shot, but really is forced. And I see that happen a lot early on in the season. These are things I think they'll work through, but it will come with time. But I want to see that develop as the season goes on. To pivot to something that I've heard people bring up, you know, about the toughness of the team and the resilience of the team, I think they still have that fight in them from last year. And and I actually think their fight and resilience has got better. Their attitude is tougher. And I say that because of players like Baines. Horford has looked like he's a little bit more pissed off this season. He has a little bit more of an edge to him. I like that. I like seeing that out of someone who is a max player and and has been in the league. I want to see a little bit more push out of him. Baines definitely has it. Didn't back down to Jay Crowder and Cleveland. Got in the face of him and, and you know said basically, you know, here I am. I'm not going to move because you're a big dude. And I don't miss Jay Crowder, by the way, who hawked up more threes in that first game. Three of ten shooting. So anyone who says they're lacking that kind of player, I think they're, they're missing who they've added. Because I think Smart has that edge. I think Baines has that edge. I think Horford can have that edge. I think Kyrie can get pissed off, not not to the same extent, but I think he has that edge to him. Then you have the young players, and obviously Morris. I didn't throw Morris's name in there. He's another big physical guy. He's not backing down from anyone. So I think they still have that, and I think now that they have more talent on this team, people question, do they have less talent or more talent than last season? I say more. I say more. They have some unproven talent, but I think it's there. So I like the direction the team's going in. Obviously a big kick to the nuts with Gordon Hayward going out for the season. You know, so much talked in the offseason, so many high expectations, and, and for good reason. 
Unfortunately, you know, you hate to see a player go down like that. If you put this, the positive spin, like I said, you know, these young players will have a chance to mature and, and in the future will be better for it. The team will be better for it. I mean, Gordon Hayward, if he comes back or when he comes back, I should say, uh, is only 27 years old. He'll be 28. So it, it's still a young core and a core now that will have more experience than if he played the whole season. Not to say that I wanted him to miss the season. I'm not saying it's a good thing. But maybe it could be in hindsight a good thing. And, you know, we'll have to wait and see, obviously. Horford, you know, uh, Hayward, I'm sorry, went through his surgery. It was successful. Brad Stevens gave a quick uh, quote before one of the games saying, you know, We've talked to, to, to Hayward. Uh, we have a back and forth on a, basically a daily basis, and we've now talking about how the next five months are going to go. I'm going to play out with his rehab. So that kind of gave us the first hint of a timetable for or a Hayward return. It's five months. I don't want to force him back this season. I don't think it's, it's needed unless he's truly okay to play, and, I, and that would be just to get his, his legs underneath him, get him back in the offense, get him running the plays again. Uh, because I don't think this season is going to be crucial for him. I think it's more going forward. Now, I could talk to Celtics for a lot longer and give you breakdowns of what I saw in individual games and on individual nights. I have plenty more to say about Kyrie, thin-skinned in Philadelphia, and I don't like that as a look for someone who, you know, like I said, has been through so much. But I want to pivot because I want to get to Dante Hightower and the big news that broke today, uh, Thursday, the 26th of Hightower missing the rest of the season, something that I feel like we're used to now seeing this player miss games every season. Now it's the rest of the season for a defense that has already struggled. And, you know, one of my worries is it was linebacker in this offseason. If I was doing the podcast or this show starting earlier on, I would have mentioned that I still felt like this team was weak at linebacker, and now they're that much weaker. So obviously the torn pec, it was originally reported that it was a shoulder injury, came out today from Ian Rappaport that it's the pec. Uh, He's missed, Hightower speaking, has missed two games in every season going back to 2012. So, you know, I almost expected it. You never expect something like this, but you almost expected it. He's already missed games this season with the knee injury. Now he misses the rest of the season with the pec. And I think that people have stated, you know, what are they going to miss? The edge in the middle, the communication, which Devin McCourty in a presser today talked about they're going to miss that communication from Hightower, who started on the outside this season as a pass rusher. And that's what he did a a good amount in the Super Bowl when you saw success with the big strip sack. But I also think that now they're going to miss that that leadership. And if you ask me, out of the four most important players on this Patriots team this season was no no doubt Tom Brady. That obviously goes without say. Rob Gronkowski, Julian Edelman, and I say Dante Hightower even more than Malcolm Butler or Stephon Gilmore. And I say that because... He is at a position, linebacker, which I mentioned was very thin to begin with. Now, they brought in David Harris. You haven't seen the production out of him that I think people wanted to see, but he's a 33-year-old linebacker who obviously has a lot of experience in the league and has Pro Bowl seasons, but he's older, and he's learning a new system. So will he come around? He played 19 snaps last week and, and looked good. Some of it was in garbage time, so I don't want to you know, get too excited over garbage time snap counts. But 
he looked pretty good, but the team is so thin, and now they're without their lead signal caller who had slid back inside and allowed Kyle Van Noy to move outside. Now what are you going to do? So who's going to take over that role? And that's important, but the bigger part is that's a player on that defense who has come up with big play after big play after big play, and that can't be understated. If we look back to the 2014 Super Bowl against Seattle, it was his tackle on Marshawn Lynch with one arm, mind you, that saved that Super Bowl because that was the play right before the, the, the big play, the Malcolm Butler interception on the one that, that, that changed that Super Bowl. But without that high tower play, they don't win that Super Bowl, and that's overlooked. I think the other play that I don't think is overlooked, but it's just another example is the big strip sack of Matt Ryan in the Super Bowl last year, which got the Patriots back the ball and started them on their run when they were down so much. And I think that those are the plays that, especially in the postseason, you're going to miss from him. It's not just the leadership in the middle of the defense and the communication, wearing the green dot, which is the signal caller for the defense. It's not even the pass rush on the outside. It's it's the big play ability of, of someone so talented and someone who's been in the system, the leadership of them. So what should the Patriots do? Heard a lot on talk radio, okay, a lot on talk radio. You could, you know, bring back a player like Rob Ninkovich, okay, um, in, who's a free agent. Akeem Ayers, who was with the team in 2014, uh, made a tweet today with some eyes, which signifies, you know, look at that, you know, look at this. So he's out there. Jonathan Casillas, who was also with the team in the past. Uh, those are all players that are on the free agency wire that you could bring in that know the system. Okay, So I think those are options. I don't want to jump too much on the Ninkovich train because I think people are so you know crazy to bring back Ninkovich. But the thing is, is Ninkovich, who I like and I think could definitely help the team, his play declined over the past two seasons, especially last year. And he looked okay by the end of the season, but it's nothing like the Ninkovich that we saw five years ago. So I think people are, 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 are kind of looking at his glory days and thinking that's what they're going to get if he comes back from retirement. I know he's been working out. I've heard that at nauseum that he's been working out. He's still in good shape. You're still seven weeks behind, soon to be eight, of regular season play, and that doesn't even count all of the, the preseason stuff that he missed. So football shape and game shape is very different than working out in the gym on your own. So I, I don't want to hop on that train. Now, am I okay with it if they bring him in? Absolutely. Hell yeah. Bring in him. Bring him in. I, I'm not saying I would be against it. I'm not against Akeem Ayers or Jonathan Casillas. I like both of them too. You're getting back a Shea McClellan who can return, I think it's the Denver game. So on November, I think it's the 12th. So, I mean, that's another player. Trevor Riley was on the practice squad. They bring him back. So I, I think... That's Those are interesting options. Now, the other thing that people say is trade for someone. The trade deadline is October uh, 31st at 4 o'clock. The Patriots have not been shy about making trades at the deadline. Belichick's phone is always ringing, and he's al always ready to make calls. He's done it in the in previous seasons, bringing in you know uh, Tlaib, and, and the, the list goes on and on. But with that said, it's not so easy just to trade for someone and, and find someone who's available and willing to, to make a trade with you.
but it's also that player coming in and learning your system. And I think that's a downplay. People think you can just make a trade and all of a sudden fill in someone. It's not that easy. You can't just pick up a whole defensive system in a week. People say the bye week, it's great. After this week against the Chargers, they have a bye week. Well, that's one week. If you think you can learn a whole defensive playbook, especially the Patriots and the way that they run on a game-to-game basis, I think you're dreaming, okay? You're smoking something, and maybe that's something that I could uh, talk to you about for the weekend. No, I'm just kidding. Not my bag, baby, as Austin Powers would say. But anyways, I mean, it's not that easy. So, you know, and, and, and who's out there? I don't know. I haven't even heard any names that are out there. You know, I've heard people, you know, shout out some names. But I, until I hear actual reports, those are all just conjecture. So that's, you know, all on the table for this team going forward. The other thing is that you look at is trades are hard, not just for the reasons I just stated, but also because you've traded so many of your picks already. You traded a pick or you traded down for Coney Ely, uh, Batamosi, Marquise Flowers, who's played mostly special teams. You traded for him prior to the start of the season with the Cincinnati Bengals. You've already given up a lot of assets in the draft to bring in these special team players. Batamosi has definitely paid off. And, you know, as a player that has now earned himself a spot to, I don't think that Gilmore, Stephon Gilmore, when he comes back, he was limited in practice today, but possibly could be back with that concussion injury, should just get his minutes back. So those players have paid off, but yet you've already dipped in to your draft capital. So how much more are you willing to to dip into it? I've heard people mention, uh, would you trade Malcolm Butler now that Batamosi has stepped up and you already have... Gilmore in house. I don't think so. I, I don't like that idea. I don't. Um, and I know it's going to be floated out there. Obviously, he, he's only you know signed through the rest of the season. Then he becomes a free agent. You can you know put the uh, you know the, the the tag on him going forward, but then you don't have the tag for Garoppolo. So do you want to do that? Are they going to cap you know tag one of them? You can't tag both. So do you get something for Butler now? And bring in someone who could maybe help this team. I don't. I don't like that because Butler has has played great now in the past game and a half. Really competed hard in that Falcons game with with big play after big play. Julio Jones. I know he had nine receptions. A lot of them were in garbage time. Didn't mean much. And Malcolm Butler was a lot to do with that. He had the big turning play uh, in the game against the Jets with the pick before the half that set them up for the touchdown. And I think he's been a key part of this defense. He's also someone with experience and who competes hard week in and week out. I thought it was interesting on the Malcolm Butler front that in the game against the Falcons, Chris Collinsworth mentioned that in their uh, production meetings, Malcolm Butler admitted to having his confidence shaken this offseason, which we saw in the preseason and early on. His play has been better, but he admitted that his confidence was shaken when they brought in Gilmore and didn't pay him the money, and he had you know some trouble starting the season. It was in his head. You almost never hear a player say that. So, I mean, it's just a little tidbit. It was interesting to me that they, he was so open on, about it, and that's on the record. I mean, that's something that is, is, is said in a production meeting to be used um, you know, come the game for, for the, the analyst. So it was interesting that he was so open about that, um, you never see that. You never see it. It's interesting. But I, I wouldn't trade him, and that, that's my point. Um, I, I think you're just going to need to look to get more out of a player like Alandon Roberts, who was limited in practice Wednesday, but hopefully will be back. Um, and obviously you have Van Noy. 
on that defense who has had some experience with the green dot, David Harris, as I mentioned, Cassius Marsh, and Dietrich Wise. They need to take on bigger roles, and I think you've seen at least at least Dietrich Wise and, and you know look good early on. He's had his moments, and Cassius Marsh has got better week in and week out. I've seen bigger and better things out of him, more plays, seen his name mentioned. So I think that these are pieces, and I wouldn't mind the free agency route. I'm not big on the trade for a big player right now. I don't want to give up too much. I just I think that would be a mistake. The last piece I want to hit on with Dante Hightower. That came as a surprise to all of us, I feel like, uh, who heard it was Burt Breer today on Toucher and Rich mentioned that the Patriots knew about uh, a pectoral problem with Hightower when they signed him to that four-year $35.5 million contract. In fact, the Jets backed away because of the physical. In fact, he failed his physical. The Steelers backed away. After they saw Hightower's medical records in the uh, in the off season, uh, according to Burt Breer, he failed physicals in March because of this. Uh, referencing the free agent visits that he made to the Jets and the Steelers, I know one team found out he had at that point. At this is seven months ago now, had a fifty-five percent torn pec then. So the pay, that uh, he goes on to say. So that was why the Patriots were very careful with him in the spring and why they were careful with him in the summer. And I think the hope was they could get him through it through this year with it. So obviously uh, I broke up that quote there, probably butchered it. But the point being is the Patriots knew about this. This did not come as a complete surprise as it did to us. So it makes you scratch your head. I still like the signing. I'm not going to go back on it and play hindsight. I know I can because that's what you can do with sports talk. You can always second guess moves and you know decisions after the fact. So I could come on here and slam them, and I don't really care if it's right or wrong. But the point being is, is I'm still okay with the signing. I just I find it you know a little bit surprising that this didn't come out prior to it. You know, you had heard whispers about his medical records and his his physical being a problem, but you didn't specifically know what it was, what the injury was, and it it was this pec. Fifty five percent of his pec was torn going into the season, so that came as a surprise. It's something to watch as he rehabs it now. And what are the Patriots' chances to win a Super Bowl now? Because this is a key piece. I still think they're there. Because the AFC to me is underwhelming, um, or at least it's it's average. Okay, you're you're on a good plane. They're five and two right now. Okay, so are the char- uh, so are the uh, uh, the Chiefs, and so are the Steelers. And I think those are teams that you can compete with. Although I think those teams are a little bit better, or are better defensively, or they have been to this point. And I think that although the Patriots have enough talent, they don't have a lot of talent. So this is just a, a key piece to that. So it's going to hurt that that chance. It definitely brings them down from the high I think they were on after that win against the Falcons and so much of of positive thoughts were coming from that Falcons game and what you saw from the defense holding that offense that although was struggling, um, they were able to hold them to seven points and those seven points came at the end of the game, didn't mean anything, and it wasn't like that was a big score for them. So... You know, it's interesting now to go forward and see what is this team going to be like without without Dante Hightower.
I originally wanted to run down the Patriots game against the Falcons last week. Big wind on Sunday night. The defense made huge strides. Finally looked like a complete defense. Played all three phases of the, of the game great, I think. Belichick mentioned it. Brady mentioned it. Everyone mentioned it. They looked really solid on defense for the first time. Their best defensive outing by far. The offense looked pretty good. Gronkowski again looked great. The offensive line looked good as a whole, although Nate Solder had two uh, penalties called on him and gave up uh, you know, some pressure. But overall, great game. And I don't want to take anything away from that Patriots win, and I would have got much more in depth about it. But uh, the Falcons have definitely uh, lost their minds, flew one over the cuckoo's nest. They have peed down their leg uh, you know, in many games now, at least two or three since that Super Bowl loss, which I think is in their heads. I know is in their heads. They constantly mention it and bring it up. So that team is in disarray, if you ask me. I know they're a complete team, and I gave them a lot of credit going into the game. But when I actually watched a full game from that team, and saw the way they executed, they're just ruined, okay? They're just absolutely ruined. But with so much going on in Boston right now and the Red Sox hiring their 47th manager or will hire their 47th manager, Alex Cora, for those who don't know much about Alex Cora because he definitely was not an all-star in his time in Major League Baseball, but he did play 15 seasons, including four with the Red Sox, Played with players like Dustin Pedroia and Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz. The list goes on and on. He was there for, for that tenure. He's 42 years old, which makes him the, the, the third youngest coach in the league right now. He's never coached on the major league level. He's with Houston right now in the World Series, which is why he hasn't been officially named uh, the head coach yet. He will when that series wraps up. It's tied 1-1. And uh, has been somewhat, you know, pretty entertaining up to this point. But when that series wraps up, he will officially be announced. He's their bench coach right now. His his, his rundown, if you will. He, he did coach two years uh, of winter ball with Puerto Rico, the World Baseball Classic, which I think is somewhat of a joke of a, a tournament because there's no emphasis put on it. Uh, no one really talks about it. It's not a big deal. So I'm not going to give him managerial credit for you know what he did with Puerto Rico um, but he does have that somewhat experience what I like about Cora why I think he was the best signing for the team and that doesn't mean I think he is a great signing by any means I like the signing out of the candidates they had because I think the candidates that they interviewed Ron Gardenhire and Brad Osmus I think he was the best out of the bunch not that's not giving him a whole lot of credit, but I think he was the best of the bunch because he has been here in Boston. He spent four years here, so he knows what the media, what the fans are like. He did have a relationship with Dustin Pedroia, who speaks highly of Alex. Um, the biggest thing to me about the hiring is that he's bilingual. He can identify with the young Latino players. He can also identify with the younger players, which is the core of this team. And I don't think that can be downplayed. Right now in baseball, 32% of Major League Baseball players were Latino in 2017. And you have some on your team right now. So he's, you know, he's, he's someone who can at least identify with these players where I don't think Farrell could, for one, talk with his young players. I don't think he did a good job with his veterans and, and players like David Price. 
um, obviously, which was mentioned in in, a, in an extreme fa- uh, manner throughout the season. But I think Cora will have a better um, a better connection with the players and a better understanding of what he needs to do in the locker room. That's not to say that he's not going to need help. I think the most important thing for Cora is to have a you know a good bench coach with experience. Unlike Farrell, who I felt like needed a younger bench coach, you know, Tori Lavulo did a good job with the players. I think, you know, Core is going to need that experienced bench coach. Today, um, Brian Butterfield is hired by the Chicago Cubs, and so is uh, Chili Davis, your hitting coach. So those guys are gone, and Carl Willis goes back to Cleveland. He was your pitching coach. So it's going to be a brand-new dugout uh, from, uh, you know, a coach's standpoint for this team, which I think is great. I think is great. It needed a fresh. It needed some fresh air. You needed some fresh voices. You're going to get that with Core, but I think that bench coach, who can really kind of you know give him a little bit direction when he's you know struggling or has you know questions to ask, is going to be key for him and and if he can succeed here or not. Cora was one of the players in that 2005 to 2008 time period that was able to reportedly get through to players like Manny Ramirez, who obviously we all know Manny could go off on his own little island for a while in Manny land and do his own thing. But Cora was one that could always kind of bring him back to the reservation, if you will. And that was noted um, by, I believe, Terry Francona himself. Don't don't mark my words on that, but I believe that I heard Terry you know, had, had said that at some point in time. Some quotes from other Red Sox bigwigs. Uh, Tom Warner says, As someone who has played in Boston and knows what it takes to win here, that's one of the reasons they brought him in. And, uh, you know, Dave Dombrowski, Alex has a full appreciation for the use of analytics and information in today's game, which is obviously the Red Sox use a lot of analytics. And I think too many at times, but okay, you know, Bill James and all of his stupid stats. But, it just shows you that they feel like he has all the components that can bring you know, success, and he has an understanding of what he needs to do. John Henry says, uh, we, we, we couldn't have found a better match for our players, our front office, and for where we intend to go over the coming years as an organization. So that's another little tip of your cap, and I feel like a little bit of a backslap to John Farrell, saying that he really gets what we're trying to do here. And I think you know that's a backhanded slap at John Farrell. I'm fine with that. But it shows you that he's respected around baseball, and that's not just said from obviously the people who hired him, but other, people's in, other people in the game who know him and know the game very well, they respect him. And I think that that also can't be understated because that's a key part of what your team is going to look at, you know, in your manager. Is he someone that is respected and demands that respect, although he can identify with them and, you know, lead them in, you know, tough times or even when things are going good because sometimes players, when things are going good, will stop focusing. And and Cora is supposedly someone who can bring them all together. And he's definitely going to be tested, and I think he's going to be tested with a lot of players, David Price and his crybaby attitude, Dustin Pedroia and his outbursts that we saw last season and that were somewhat distractions, Uh, the little leader in him uh, who has a surgery, on his knee, he's going to be out seven months. Hanley Ramirez, who is a dog and can just give up at times, you can see what he can do uh, in the playoffs, and you see that he can be that great hitter. 
but he's not always focused. So Cora is going to be tested. The Red Sox are going to be tested because they're going to also be needing to make some moves. You know, I mentioned I think they need to make a move for a big bat. I talked about that in, in our Red Sox uh, dipping in the dugout segment uh, a couple shows ago. Uh, and they're also going to be dealing with some injuries, such as Pedroia, who has a, a surgery for his knee. He's out seven months. David Price and his elbow issues going forward. He didn't have a surgery, but his issues. Eddie Rodriguez, who had surgery. Hanley Ramirez, who had surgery. You know, Dombrowski said they didn't see any surgeries in the uh, near future, and now all of a sudden there's three that I named right there, and I feel like I'm leaving out a fourth. But not to go off on a tangent on that, a lot that we got to tonight – to recap it, we talked Celtics, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kyrie Irving, and that whole show down there at the Garden. We also talked about Dante Hightower, the Patriots, uh, and a little bit of what happened in the Atlanta game. Not much at all, but a little bit. Uh, they have that game against the Chargers, which I, I think is a sneaky game this week. I think it's going to be a hard game. San Diego comes in winning their last uh, three games after losing their first four, but they have plenty of offensive weapons. Hunter Henry um, has come on as a tight end, an emerging tight end, and Melvin Gordon in that backfield, Phillip Rivers, who uh, Bill Belichick couldn't, you know, basically had a little Phillip in his pants when talking about him on Wednesday. So that's going to be a sneaky game. We'll probably talk about that on our next show. Uh, also, the Bruins win tonight 2-1 to against San Jose. I know I didn't get to talk about that, but that's going on, and that team is is struggling right now, something mightily as the season goes on. We'll get into them. Uh, just so many big stories. It's hard to hit on everything uh, and uh, appease everyone. So there you have it. This has been another episode of Call It How I See It with yours truly, Stephen A. Norman. Thank you, as always, for loaning me your ears during this time. Check out the show's Facebook page for more takes from me, myself, and I, including articles and videos from around the Boston sports world at facebook.com backslash call it how I see it sports. Also, follow the show on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com backslash call it how I see it sports. And you can catch me tweeting on Twitter at Stephen A1 Norman or just email the show at call it how I see it sports at gmail.com. And of course, check out more shows that are coming soon. And as a little tease, like a drunk girl at a bar, you can interact with me in real time, have your voice heard, and argue your thoughts, maybe, just maybe, in an upcoming edition of the show on Facebook Live. Look out for posts and tweets regarding that. And like Strike 3, I'm out.